You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Hey, man. So good to be with you guys this afternoon. And, uh, you know, in case you're a guest here, man, we're so glad that you could come and worship with us here at City Tribe. I want to say a big welcome to those of you in the video cafe, as well as those of you that are worshiping online. What do you say we pray and ask God to help us before we get into the teaching here? And if you're comfortable to do so, put your hand out in the position to receive from the Lord. If that's too weird for you, then you can take a pass on it. The rest of us weirdos will just talk to God for a minute. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and just uh, in our own hearts, we're just saying, God, God, would you please communicate with us, connect with us, allow us to experience you, and we're listening for you today in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. amen. So in case you're new here or coming for the first time in a long time, we have deemed 2020 the year of Love Angelist. Now, uh, Love Angelist is two words put together, love and evangelism. We're praying that we would see everyone win one. That's kind of our mantra this year, that everyone can win one into love relationship with Jesus. Now, that second word of love evangelism is evangelism. If you look in a dictionary, it would say something like this, the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness, zealous advocacy of a cause. And what we're aware of is that in our culture, uh, the word evangelism really has kind of a negative connotation because people, I think, are just sick of bullhorn preachers and people who are culture warriors really trying to communicate you know, biblical truth in a way that's not very palatable for most people and somewhat insulting without love in their conversations, see? And so we have coined this term love evangelism. And what this means is loving people with heart, action, and engaging them in conversation. So you can see three facets of love evangelism. It's uh, heart, it's action, and conversations. Today we're going to engage and look at the conversations that we have with people about Jesus. And I just want to submit one real simple idea, but very transforming idea to you today, and it's this, that a conversation with about Jesus is the most loving conversation that you can have. Would you say that with me out loud with passion and conviction today? Even those of you that are next door and watching online, let's say it together. Ready? A conversation about Jesus is the most loving conversation you can have. And so what I'm asking myself is, if I'm not willing to have conversation with someone about Jesus, do I really love that person if I don't talk to him about the most important thing that's in my life? And some of you are what we call our spiritual investigators. We're trying to figure out if God is for real and legit. And so I can imagine how you might be viewing a topic like this today as we're looking at, you know, how to have conversations with people to help people come to relationship with Christ. And some of you are thinking, you know, I got these Christian friends and, you know, I don't really like my Christian friends trying to convert me. You know what I mean? Um, And some of you are a little more open-minded to it. And you might say, you know, I don't mind if my Christian friend tries to communicate God truths or spiritual truths to me, but I just don't want them to be slick and manipulative in the ways that they try and bring it up. And that's why I just want us to be very straightforward with you today, is that we are absolutely trying to convert people here. That is important to us. And I just need to be straightforward 
in telling you that, and I hope it's not offensive to you. And I understand that some people would say something like this, you know, hey, you know, if you're trying to, you, you can believe what you believe, but you shouldn't try and convince other people of what you believe. You shouldn't try and convert or proselytize people into what you believe. But if you just said that, then you've already been converted. You've been converted to a philosophy of life that is called expressive individualism. That's your philosophy of life. And what we want you to know is, is that our motivation and heart is that we love you. We're not trying to convert you to something that's bad. We want to convert you to something that will make your life better here and your eternity better with Christ forever and ever. And we're just up, up front and straight about what we're trying to communicate to you. And I think if we're all honest, if we all got honest, we would have to admit we're all trying to proselytize people to one thing or another. So even atheists are trying to persuade people to their point of view. So we see this in the realm of politics, right? Some people are trying to get you to be a Democrat. Others are trying to get you to be a Republican. Some are trying to get you to be a libertarian. Uh, we see it all throughout our culture in the workout world. Some of you are trying to convert people to CrossFit, others to Orange Theory, right? Some are trying to convert people to yoga, others to Zumba. Some of you are trying to convert people to Netflix, others to Disney Plus, right? In the realm of sports, we see it. Some people are trying to get you to root for the Spurs. Some of you is like, the Spurs, okay? That's what, what, what it's about. Some of you are trying to get people to be vegans or vegetarians or meat eaters, aren't right? Uh, it's like nutritional supplements or essential oils. And none of those things are wrong to try and convert people to, are they? Except the essential oil one. That one is a little crazy there, but um, we see it all throughout. And if you say you shouldn't be convincing people of anything, you're convincing people of a certain philosophy of life. We also see it in the tech realm, don't we? So have you ever shown someone your phone and they say you ought to have an iPhone? Or if you have an iPhone, they say you should have got an Android. Um, see, it's, it, you, you have a PC, you should have a Mac. You have a Mac, you should have a PC. There was this guy that was head of marketing the Macintosh computer at Apple. His name is Guy Kawasaki. And you know what his job title was? It was chief evangelist. For Apple. That was his literal job title. And when his influence had taken root across our culture, here's what Guy Kawasaki said. I'll show it to you on screen. He said, out of curiosity, I went to simply hired a vertical search engine for jobs and looked for openings containing the keyword evangelist. Amazingly, there were 611 matches and none were for churches. It seems that evangelist is now a secular mainstream job title. Indeed, the first eight matches were for evangelist jobs at Microsoft. Go figure. Uh, so here's an Apple guy, and now we see that evangelist is a corporate job title for people who want to make money off of selling computer hardware. And so my viewpoint is if people can use the term evangelist to sell computer hardware for a profit, how come we can't be love evangelists and give something to someone for free, the greatest gift of all, which is Jesus. Is anybody on board with being able to do that? See, now, here's the question, and it is, how do we do that in a way that's appropriate? 
because I think most of you who are gathered here, you don't want to be that person who beats people over the head with the Bible and, you know, is unnecessarily rude to uh, people who don't believe in Christ. And so what a lot of well-meaning Christ followers have done is they've embraced a quote that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I'll show you the quote. It says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Have you heard this? Anybody? So you just show me a hand if you've seen this. Okay. A bunch of us have seen this. I'm seeing it posted online, on social media, all this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, the reason we like this quote is because we say, yeah, I'll show people by my actions, not my words that I'm into Jesus, right? And so I want to show people my, my actions and then they'll get it. That's why we like that quote. And what's not to like about St. Francis? I love St. Francis. I mean, I was born in St. Francis Hospital. St. Francis loved the animals. I love animals. It's kind of like a Nacho Libre. You know, you like poopies? I like poopies too, you know? I like these things. So I love St. Francis. Um, there's one little problem with the quote. St. Francis didn't say it. Sorry to break that to you. Um, some of you have thought that this was a, a legit and real quote of St. Francis, but it was not. If you look at history, you'll never find any document in which St. Francis said this. If you look at his disciples or his followers, uh, they never quoted St. Francis having said that line. And furthermore, St. Francis himself communicated the gospel both with his actions and his words. St. Francis was a love evangelist. And you know why he was a love evangelist? Because of what Paul said in Romans 10, 14. Look at it with me. How can people have faith in the Lord and ask him to save them if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone does what? Tells them. See? Definitely, we have to, with our actions, love people and show people the love of Christ. But it doesn't do any good if we don't share it with our words as well. I think what most of us here have reacted against are those people that talk a big game and never do anything and show it by their actions, but we're embracing both of those together. Now, in that Romans passage, the little word for tell there, some of you know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek, like koinai or the common Greek. The little word for tell there is Kurasantos, okay? And a Kurasantos, it's not the Greek word that we get our word croissant or toast, either, either of those things. But what it means is to be a herald to proclaim. That's what it means, to be a herald to proclaim. We don't use that word herald very much. You've perhaps heard songs like Hark the Herald, Angels Sings, but we also know that some newspapers have named that they got Herald in their name, like the Boston Herald, Miami Herald, these type of newspapers, um, because they're heralding news. Young people, a newspaper is this where they put news on paper and they expect people to pay for news information. I know that sounds silly today, uh, but that was what that is. But, it, you know, as uh, uh, Angeles, we're heralding the good news of Jesus. And as we do that, what we see is that to help people come to faith in Jesus, we have to be aware of their process. So I'm going to show you a little chart, and it's called the Engle Scale of Evangelism. It was developed by a guy who understood that typically people start out with no awareness of God at step one. 
But then when they move on to perhaps step two and step three and four, sometimes it's not till step 10 that they're able to commit their lives to Christ. And the, I'm not going to go through, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through the entire chart here. But the reason I wanted to show it to you is because it makes a great point that it's not as simple as you just tell someone about Jesus and all of a sudden, shazam, they believe in that moment. It sometimes takes a process of time for them to think through and work through this issue. So what I created for you and I today is a unique chart that tells you the journey that we've seen people on here at City Tribe Church in coming to faith in Christ. And so the first step that you'll see people uh, go through and the, the first step, you know, like there at the left-hand side of the little chart is when people are unchurched, they may have been burned or hurt by the church. They perhaps don't trust organized religion and all of that. But when they move to step number two is when they have one Christ-following friend that's authentic, that really loves them, that they like being around. And then perhaps they'll move to stage three where they're actually actively seeking. They become a spiritual investigator and trying to figure out if God is legit and for real. And from there, they, like, they might like coming to a service. And then it dawns on them the ramifications of the biblical claims on their life. And it's not till step six that a person will actually believe and experience what we call the spiritual birth, a new life in Christ. And then step seven is spiritual formation where someone grows, someone gets involved in a tribe, a group, a class that helps them grow. Maybe they serve at that point, serve in and through the church or out in the community in some way. Um, but one of the things that we understand about this process is that it's not always linear. You follow me? It's not always you go to step one, step two, step three. We kind of go back and forth, don't we? Here's how that plays out is that let's say someone is thinking about really looking into God. They're thinking about it. They're honestly considering Jesus. And then that person will watch a YouTube video of a skeptic and say, ah, yeah, that's goofy. I'm not going to believe in that kind of stuff. That's silliness. I can't believe in that. And then that same person, after they watch that video, will maybe have a new Christian friend who's really intelligent and really loving and kind of, they think, you know, that guy, you know, he believes in it. And so maybe it could be true. Like that could be, and maybe I need to continue looking into this. And then that same person will, you know, have another Christian friend that is really too pushy about politics and abrasive in that way. Like, I don't want to be like that guy. I'm not looking into this anymore. And then the same person will find out, oh, Kanye's into Jesus. So maybe it is legit. Or some people are going to say, Kanye's into Jesus. It can't be legit, you know, or someone's going to, uh, see like that great Christian thinker Ravi Zacharias on a YouTube video and think that it makes so much sense. I mean, he is this guy's so smart. It, it really makes sense to me. You see what I'm talking about? We go back and forth. We take two steps forward and one back. Um, we all go in this nonlinear kind of uh, order or process there. So what the, the evangelist does is that we wisely discern where someone is on that journey and we realize that we can't convince or convert or change anyone's heart. But our role is simply to gently and lovingly take people by the hand and help them to the next phase in their spiritual journey as is natural and appropriate. And so we understand what Paul was teaching us in Colossians 4. Look at verse 5 where he says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how to answer everyone. And we've all known those church people that their conversation is full of salt and not much grace in it, right? We want it to be full of grace, but just seasoned with salt to help people move to the next phase in the process. And so here's where I need to challenge you guys today. And it's with this. The way we think about Monday is that, oh, bummer, the weekend's over, right? I have to go back to school or I have to go back to work. But I want us to think about Monday as a challenge to ask the five missional questions. The way you generate conversation is not by preaching sermons, but it's by asking questions. And I want to show you five questions today that are Missional Monday questions that you can learn about on Sunday and ask these questions to unbelieving friends of yours on Monday tomorrow. And so let me show you question number one, and it's just real simple. It's like, hey, what did you do this weekend? Can everybody ask that question? It's like, what would you do this weekend? That's not a hard question to ask, is it? And you listen to people and you celebrate with them and the good times that they had over the weekend and you sympathize with them over the bad things that happened over their weekend. But what did you do this weekend? Perhaps they will be willing to listen to what you did this weekend. And, you know, one of the things that you did this weekend, you tell them, hey, you know, I went to my church and it was encouraging for me. Now, to you, that wasn't a big deal. I went to church, but let me tell you what they heard. She goes to church. (laughs) You, like, just came out of the closet that you're a church person, right? That you go to church, and they're thinking to themselves, he he seems normal, but he goes to church, you know? She seems like a legit lady, you know? She goes to church. So, you know what I'm saying? But what happens is, a lot of times, you know why a lot of people won't go to church? It's not because they don't like a church, it's because they don't like you. And I think that if we can be people that are genuine and loving people, then maybe people would consider our church to be a legitimate thing as well. And if you get to that point and you put the invite out there to go to church, I can't tell you the numbers of people that have come to faith in Christ and had their, the whole trajectory of their lives changed because of an invite to come to church. In fact, a couple of services back today, um, there was a lady named Rena sitting right down here in the front row. And I was at our art walk a few months ago here, and Rena was at the art walk, and this guy named Johnny D also was displaying his artwork next door in the cafe. And I was talking to Johnny because I've known him for a number of years, and Rena was there, and Rena was explaining to me that in high school, she was an atheist, and Johnny, when they were both in high now they're grown, have kids and everything, but back when they were in high school, Johnny was the first one to ask Rena to church, invite her to church. And the way Johnny describes it is kind of funny because he was that guy, he'd invite everybody to church, and you know how in high school kids can be kind of mean, so he's like, hey, would you like to go to church with me this weekend? And they said, go to hell. And he'd say, I'll say, sorry, I guess you don't want to go to church today. Um, and then someone else, he'd say, in Johnny's words, not mine, you know, hey, would you like to go to church with me? Someone else, some other kid would say, F you, you know, and he'd say, oh, sorry, man, uh, faith to you, but I guess you don't want to go to church. Uh, and, and then he kept asking, and uh, Rena was hostile. At first, she's like, no, I don't want to go to church. She's an atheist, angry. And one day, he tried again. He's like, hey, you want to go to church? Would, would you be willing to go to church with me? It's okay if you don't. But she said, yeah, I think I'd like to go. And Rena's entire life has been changed, and her and her husband, Michael, have been changed by the gospel, and both of them serve and worship right here at City Tribe Church because one dude was willing to say, would you want, you want to come to church with me, right? So... 
That's good. But look at this question number two, okay? This is a good question. It's like, how do you find meaning and purpose in life? That's a good question, isn't it? And perhaps you can listen and learn from them. You know, years ago, we were trained to ask people, if you were to die today, would you end up in heaven? And that's certainly a legit question. But what we found is, is that a lot of people aren't asking afterlife questions. More people are asking questions about meaning and purpose in life. And when this came up in a conversation with a couple of friends of mine that are not believers, um, the wife in this couple, she, she's a really sharp uh, college professor, and she said, I don't believe that there is a purpose in life. I, I think all of this is just meaningless. And her husband is kind of a jokester, and so he said, you know, my God is Thor, you know, like with the hammer, Avengers, and that, and they don't believe the Bible is legit. They think that it's just craziness. And I've invited them to many, invited them to a lot of church services, but they just aren't, aren't interested in coming. But I remember at the end of one of our conversations, um, I was explaining to them we, what we do at church, this 21 days of prayer, where in January, we will go without stuff. We abstain from certain foods. It's kind of like Lent for those of you that grew up Catholic or whatever. And I remember the husband of this pair tells me, he said, yeah, I'm this year for Lent, I'm giving up such and such. And I thought to myself, man, I didn't know Thor required Lent, you know, of you. But the, part of the reason I'm telling you that story is that we're still friends. And for some of you, what you wanted that story to be was you wanted it to end with me, like, winning a debate and telling them what's up and showing them what's right. Set them straight, pastor. But if that's your heart, you've misunderstood what it is to be a love angelist. Do you really think I win if I demean my friends in an argument? These are people that I care about. And I can't convert anyone, and we certainly have the conversations. But the reason it was a win for me is because those friends moved to phase number two, where they have one friend that they know that's a Christ follower that genuinely cares about them. And for far too long, some of you have been made to feel less than when you engage in spiritual conversations and you don't have that glory story where someone gets on their knees and says, I repent and speaks in tongues and gets healed of cancer or something like that. But look, it's a win when you help them gently assist them to the next natural phase of the journey toward God. Now, look at question number three for Missional, Missional Monday. This is when you've typically gotten to know someone and you ask, you know, hey, we've never had a chance to talk about your religious background. Where would you say you are on your spiritual journey? Where would you say you are on your spiritual journey? You listen, right, to learn where they're at. And this came up in a conversation I had with a friend of mine. He's a very bright individual, too, Ivy League trained. And what he explained to me, even though he doesn't believe, he had a grandma that was a very devout Presbyterian Sunday school teacher. And in his mind and in his life, she is the most credible God follower that he has ever known. And he didn't like get on his knees and beg God to forgive him and come into his life that evening. But at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, I think maybe I need to take a comparative religion class to sort this out and think through it. Because what dawned on him is he is a thinking person. And he has never 
legitimately thought through these issues of eternity and God. And you know, that was a win. And the reason that was a win is because he went to stage three, where he's now open to becoming a legit spiritual investigator. Is this making sense to you? See? So let's look at question number four. This is where, and the time's got to be right for this one, but this is a pretty straightforward question. Would you like to start investigating Jesus? Would you like to start investigating Jesus? Now, um, I remember one night, Pastor Jake and I were on a bike ride in Southtown, and we stopped at Latunas for drinks, and we saw our friend from church here, Thomas. He's sitting right down here. He was like, hey, Thomas, what's up? Remember that night, dude? It was so, so much fun. We were hanging out talking, and he was talking to Anna, a bartender there at Latuna. And I could tell that Thomas had a little crush on her, didn't you, dude? Man, you were totally into her. I could see it. You were digging her chili and everything. It was great. So anyways, uh, <laughs> that's the thing, digging chili. But anyways, so we were on this conversation that Thomas had already initiated about God, and he knew Anna longer than Jake and I had. And as the, the conversation progressed, I just said, Anna, would you like to start investigating Jesus? And she cocked her head and thought for a minute, and she said, yeah, I, th- I, re- I would. I really would. And so we started this little tribe group where she could, you know, pursue Jesus. But I think the thing that made the biggest difference was the way Thomas and his family just welcomed Anna into the family and just loved her. And she came to faith in Jesus here. She was baptized here at this church. I embarrassed her in the last service. She was in the last service sitting right over here. Um, and now Thomas and Anna are married, and they had this beautiful baby girl together. So the moral of the story is, if you ask this question, would you like to start investigating Jesus, you might have a baby with your bartender, you know? <laughs> Check it out. So kind of funny. And she's teaching school now. I don't even think he drinks anymore, right? I think he just drank long enough to lead her to the Lord. Uh, so cheers. Here, here. But, you know, uh, we've seen enough people in our church that are asking them, they're willing to ask that question, would you like to start investigating Jesus? So much so that we are praying about and thinking about right now, starting a course, it's an 11 week course here, ask sometime after Easter, and it's called Alpha Course. And it shows you the historic um, archeological reasons for belief in God and who Jesus is and who he claimed to be. So if you are interested in either taking Alpha Course or volunteering at Alpha Course, fill out a Connect card before you leave today. Those Connect cards are in some of the chairs and also at the donation stations near the exits. And if you'd like to be a part of that in some way, whether it's volunteer or taking the course, fill out that, uh, that Connect card and then just write, I'd like to attend Alpha Course or I'd like to volunteer at Alpha Course on there so that we know the real interest in that. And if you're not interested in it, then we don't want to run the course. But if you're really into it, then we'll start that course sometime right after Easter. And I'm personally going to be involved in that course. I would love to see that happen. But look at the next question for Missional Monday. And it's number five. Uh, and you have to know someone to ask this question. But But you can ask, hey, look, we've been friends for quite some time now. And I've never really talked to you about the most important thing in my life. May I take a few moments to do so? This is where you've built the relational equity with someone where it would would be completely appropriate to bring this up. And some of you are thinking to yourself, man, I just don't really know what to say. What do I tell them? Well, really, what you tell them, you start with your story 
of how God's changed your life. Some of you know what John said in the book of Revelation, be chapter 12, verse 11. And John said they triumphed by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's your story. And you can tell your story simply by just remembering the three P's of your story. First, it's your past. Second is your point in time when you accepted Christ. And then third is your present reality. So for me, if I were telling you my story today, I would tell you that in my past, before I accepted Christ, I was just an elementary school kid. I had not yet had time in life to end up in the gutter doing heroin or anything like that. You know, I was just a kid. But at the church where my parents made me go, uh, the way they did it there is you walk down an aisle. I had to talk to a pastor to start a relationship with God. So I did. I walked down the aisle. I prayed with a pastor. I remember that uh, I believed in Jesus. But that was the, the point in time in which I believed. Um, and I really didn't change that much. I was still just a kid, loved playing ball, playing with my friends, all of that. My problems didn't start till after I'd been a Christian, you know, where I went wrong on some addictions and dysfunctional behavior. But if I tell you my present reality is that I've been changed. My heart's been changed. My marriage has been changed. God, by his spirit, has set me free from significant kinds of addictions and problems in my life. And that is the power of God uh, in my life today. But I want to get quickly from my story to his story because my story is only significant in so much as it's intersected with God's story. And you're saying, well, hey, look, what do I have to do? Memorize the Bible and tell them God's whole story of salvation throughout the scriptures? No. If you can remember two words, you can tell God's story. And here are those two words, do and done. Let's say those out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Do, done. So there's a fake news or false narrative of how to get into a relationship with God And some of you have been exposed to it. Some of you have believed it. Some of you may still believe it. And the false narrative, the fake news, is that in order to get into a love relationship with God, you have to do a bunch of religious things. You have to go through all these religious rituals and religious hoops. You have to do stuff to get into a relationship with God. But the truth of the gospel is that it's already been done for you. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did something to purchase your opportunity to receive salvation as a gift. Now, in recent days, lots of us have been mourning the loss of NBA great Kobe Bryant and, of course, his daughter Gianna who was in that helicopter as well. And it just kind of took us all by surprise, didn't it? And so I've been watching all these different stories on Kobe because I, I like basketball, you know, and Um, one of the things that dawned on me that I did not realize is that Kobe Bryant understood the difference between do and done. And that was manifest in a video interview that he did with Stephen A. some years ago. So take a look at that clip real quick. What did you learn from that whole experience? Just having to go through what you went through. God is great. Is it that simple? God is great. Don't get no simpler than that, bro. Did you know that? I mean, everybody knows that, but the way you know it now, did you know it before that incident took place? You can know it all you want, but until you got to pick up that cross that you can't carry, and he picks it up for you and carries you and the cross, then you know. Isn't that the truth? 
Is it? Yeah, you can go ahead and clap for that. It's like what Kobe is acknowledging is that for some time in his life, he tried to carry that cross himself toward a relationship with God. But what he realized is the cross has already been carried for me. That's the difference between I have to do and he's already done for me. As I was thinking about aviation accidents, you know, and trying to process the loss of Kobe Bryant, it reminded me of an aviation accident, which was Northwest Airlines flight number 225. And this was a flight that just took off from Detroit airport, plane crashes, kills 154 people. One survivor, a four-year-old girl named Cecilia. And when the first responders came and found little Cecilia that you can see pictured on screen, they thought that she there's no way she was on that plane. Everybody died. They thought that she had wandered over from the highway near where the plane had crashed. And she said, no, I was on that plane. They checked the flight registry, and sure enough, Cecilia had been on that flight. And then they figured out how she survived. And here's what happened. Cecilia's mother, Paula Chacon, when that plane started having trouble, she unbuckled her seatbelt. She got in front of her little girl and wrapped her arms around her little girl, and she would not let go. No matter how high the fall, no matter how hot the flames of the crash, Paula Chacon was not letting go. And her body was destroyed as it covered her little girl and saved her little girl's life. And that is precisely what Christ did on the cross for you and I so that we could be saved and experience eternal life. Now, there's one small problem with the story as an illustration of the gospel. Oh, it's a great story. But that day on that flight, Paula Chacon had to lay down her life as a surprise. It was like an emergency. She wasn't expecting it. And the difference in Paula and Jesus is that Jesus was fully expecting it. He volunteered for it. He chose to come down from heaven and cover you and I on the cross so that we could live. And I felt it would be totally appropriate if we just stopped and prayed for a moment, shall we? And as we bow before the Lord, if God brought you here to believe and somehow for the first time in your life you're understanding the difference between do and done and you'd like a relationship with God just say something like this in your heart to him in your own heart and mind just say God look I know I've screwed up some stuff I've sinned but the best I can comprehend it right now, I'm choosing to believe that Jesus was just like that mother on that airplane. That Jesus on the cross covered my body with his to pay the penalty for my sin. And Jesus, I welcome you into my life and a relationship with God. Now, as we continue in prayer, this next prayer is for those of you that are Christian believers. And it's kind of a challenge 
It's where the rubber meets the road for you and I today if we already believe in Christ. And it's a decision. You know how James in the Bible said, be doers of the word, not hearers only who deceive themselves. We've got to make a choice today. Will we make a commitment to engage in missional Monday? Not someday, tomorrow is the day. So this next part is you making a commitment to tomorrow, asking someone of the, one of those five missional Monday questions. Look, there's only two choices here. Will I be a doer of the word or just collecting more knowledge and deceiving myself? So how many of you would raise your hands, just peek up at me and say, hey, I'm going to ask one of those Missional Monday questions to someone tomorrow. Anybody? Anybody? Just show me. Raise your hand. Good. Good. All over this room. God, here's our prayer. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you go before us as we've raised our hands and committed to asking these questions. Because what we understand, God, is we can't change anybody's heart. That that is your business. And we also understand that you love our friends and loved ones way more than we do. And we want to be a part of what you're doing in their lives. And so by faith, we will ask these questions and we rely completely upon you to move and work and for them to be open to our story and yours. We pray that they'd be open to an invite to church, an invite to seeking you, Jesus. And we trust you with it. And we long for and look forward to that day, 1,500 years from now, when we're with you in eternity, Jesus. And we see a crowd, a mob of people that ended up there because of what initiated here. A group of grassroots folk who said, we're going to ask questions on Monday. So we thank you for what you're going to do and for all the good that comes of this. We say, receive credit, honor, and glory, Jesus. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said... Amen. Amen. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.